Welcome to another episode of I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. On today's episode, we take a special trip down to the Urban Safari Rescue Society, where we meet with Sharon Doucette, the executive director of that organization. She shares with us the history, uh, as well as some of the animals that you can see down there, and that they also need our help. This organization is able to run predominantly through donations and due to COVID, they're having troubles getting money in. You can support them either by visiting their GoFundMe page under Urban Safari Rescue Society or taking a trip down there for yourself and seeing what it's all about. Uh, Once again, they appreciate any donations that you can provide and you're helping to protect these animals as well as provide some education on them. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. All right. Well, thank you for uh, having us today at the Urban Safari Rescue Society. Great. Um, For those of us listening at home, what exactly is this place? Well, thank you for coming, first of all. Um, Urban Safari Rescue Society is a registered charity, uh, and our mission is to rescue and provide sanctuary for unwanted exotic animals. So we have roughly uh, 350 animals here, ranging from uh, tarantulas, uh, reptiles of all kinds, birds, um, and some small mammals, including a couple of small uh, pigs, Vietnamese pot-bellied pigs. Um, so that's part of our mission. Now these animals are, are uh, former pets that people had and it's surprising what people will actually take on as a pet. It's, um, uh, we shake our heads quite often. Um, but you know, the li- their life changed or the animal changed, Some- something happened or they just a lot of times they're they're moving they can't take the animal with them or they got bored of it because mm. many especially reptiles they just sit in one place and you can't cuddle them you can't train them tricks you know there's not there's not that same social bond that there is with dogs and cats so people tire of them uh, so they come here and then we look after them And then the other part of our mission is to educate the public. Um, We have a a very extensive educational program that's both outreach and in-house. And so the animals become, uh, in essence, teaching tools and ambassadors. So we go to schools and libraries and festivals and private homes for birthday parties and all kinds of places and we'll take some animals with us, usually about 15 or so. Um, we try and cover all the animal families that we, that we can, and we do an hour-long presentation and teach people about animals in general, um, animal-related uh, topics such as uh, habitat and adaptation and defense and animal characteristics conservation Mm. and also one of our messages is most of these animals do not make appropriate pets so don't go there right 
You know, don't don't become part of the problem. Yeah, don't buy a boa constrictor. No. <laughs> Uh, so, yes, we have our outreach program. Then we have uh, in-house programs. Uh, well, these were pre-COVID, of course. Right. So we have spring break camps, summer camps, nature club for uh, kids 6 to 12, uh, junior zookeeping for teenagers because teenagers are starting to think about what kind of careers they like and oftentimes they'll think, oh, I want to be a vet or I want mm. to work with animals. So um, there's a, a huge range of careers that, that someone can have working with animals that don't require seven years of university as a vet. Uh, being a vet is a very fine thing, but you know, there's there's a big broader world out there. So, um, so we we go over that with with the kids, with the teenagers. We we uh, teach them safety around animals, um, pest control, again animal characteristics, how to how to care for animals in captivity. Because if you're bound and determined to have an animal as a pet, you better know how to look after it. Um, so those are the types of things that, that we cover. So that's, that's us in a nutshell, <laughs> a yeah. big nutshell. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. <laughs> so how long have you been working? Because it used to be called Cinema Zoo, correct? Well, yes, that's part of our history. So right. Cinema Zoo was uh, started by a man named Gary Oliver. And uh, Gary started the first animal agency in Canada. And Cinema Zoo would provide um, animals for TV, film, and photography. And uh, Gary didn't have all the animals necessary for each project, but he would source them out from people who did have them. And then he would make sure that the animal was treated humanely on set because that is a huge issue and that the people got paid because hmm. that is also a huge issue. Uh, so he uh, had Cinema Zoo for many, many years, but then um, he started acquiring animals because people realized that he had uh, a vast knowledge of animals. He's been... Uh, working with and learning about animals since literally since he was seven years old uh, and he's worked at the Toronto Zoo and he's worked for the um, Royal Ontario Museum and various places so he has this vast knowledge so uh, people started bringing him their animals saying please take my boa right, constrictor right. I can't deal with it any longer so he he did, and he, and he was getting more animals, and then realized that uh, he needed a, a more, uh, a broader organization to look after these animals. So he founded Urban Safari Rescue Society, and that's where it grew from. Now Gary, he's still with us, he's, he's retired now, but he's still with us, but he's, he sold Cinema Zoo to, uh, to someone else uh, several years ago. So Cinema Zoo still is out there doing that type of work, but it's completely uh, severed from Urban Safari Rescue Society. 
Right. So you so you guys aren't involved in movies or anything like that. No, anymore? we do. We get. We do get the odd call from um, from a film company or a TV or whatever uh, about some some animal. Uh, we just recently got one about uh, they want a rabbit for some shots for a movie in um, in Squamish. So we do get that from time to time, and we'll try to accommodate them if if possible, and and we'll send um, uh, one of our people, one of our animal handlers with the animal to make sure that the animal mm. is treated properly and it's not, you know, a reptile in a freezing situation or being, um, make sure the animal isn't asked to do something that is against its nature. Right. Yeah. How long uh, have you been involved in this for, Sharon? Um... Uh, I think eight or nine years. Yeah. What 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 made you say you know I want to be an ambassador for these animals? <laughs> well, it's an unusual uh, story for me. I don't have a background in animals. I'm actually a photographer, and I was a photographer for 25 <laughs> years, and uh, worked as a um, commercial advertising photographer and a uh, photographer for newspapers. I worked for Canadian Press and uh, various newspaper chains. And in my work as a newspaper photographer, I got to know Gary and he is a very uh, colorful man with a colorful story. The uh, animals were fascinating to me. And I've always had uh, I've always had an interest and worked in the environmental and conservation um, sphere. I I have volunteered with various organizations throughout my life. So um, the newspaper world is dying out, and I got downsized and you know, was looking at a career change because photography as a, as a profession is no longer really a, a good avenue. Uh, so I was going through that process and um, I happened to run into Gary in a parking lot and told him that I was taking some uh, graphic design courses and he lit up like a Christmas tree and wanted me to work on a graphic design project that he had. So I started doing that and then I started volunteering here and I volunteered for about six months um, full-time while I was on EI. I figured, why not? And, um, and then I stayed. They hired me and I just started as, uh, you know, kind of office administrative type work. And then it grew into uh, executive director, and that's that's where I that's where I'm at now. Wow, yeah, that's that's impressive. So, is that mostly how this place functions? Is through volunteerism? Yeah, we have uh, a fairly large volunteer base. Um, we do have staff uh, because these animals need specific care on a specific schedule, you can't always uh, rely on volunteers for that. So we do have 
uh, a few volunteers, or sorry, a few uh, staff. There's three staff right now. Uh, Pre-COVID, we had a, a larger staff mm. and we had to lay them off. And we had to close our doors to all of our volunteers as well because we needed to limit um, the three of us that were left. We needed to limit our exposure to, to COVID because if one of us gets COVID, uh, we were very concerned that um, everything would be shut down and then the animals suffer. So right. <clears throat> it's kind of like a long-term long care home. <laughs> mm. yeah. So we had to be very, very cautious, and we still are. So we've called back a few of our regular volunteers uh, to help us work with the workload, and, and, uh, and that's going pretty well. So... Um, we do normally we do have a very large volunteer base and we're always willing to take on new volunteers but volunteers must be at least 16 years old okay we cannot take children and we cannot take children with their parents supervising we've tried that a couple of times and it never works out even if the parent is absolutely for sure, we will do it. Yeah. We will. We will be right there. With no, it yeah. never works out. Yeah. So we just say no to that. Completely. Okay. Well, can you tell us a little bit about the animals? So you mentioned that there's not just reptiles here. There's. Uh, did you say Vietnamese? Potbelly pigs. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So those aren't obviously from around here. Those were surrendered as well. Yeah. Well, one of the potbelly pigs is Gary's own pig. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the other one, uh, Bonnie, she was, um, she came to us from a, a family in Squamish. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting story. The, uh, the teenage daughter at the time was learning how to drive and she got her license and the first thing she did once she got her, her license was to go to a pig breeder and buy a baby potbelly pig. She brought it home and her parents kind of went wide-eyed and went, what, what were you thinking? Yeah. Um, the pig was maybe right. eight inches to a foot long. It was small, like a size of a cat. But they grow, of course. Yeah, and eat. And eat. <laughs> And they, uh, they had the pig in their house for uh, a couple of months. And that, that's fine. You can have a pig in your house. They're very smart and you can train them just like a dog. And they're mm. actually very, very clean animals. I, I hear they're very personable too. They're very personable, yes. They have the intelligence of, of roughly a three-year-old child. Wow. So how, do they, how do they figure things like that out? Behaviorally, in they they give them behavior tests. There's lots of studies and research done on on various animals, especially the animals that that have more um, contact with with people and have become domesticated in, in at some level. So they they have all kinds of testing and behavioral studies that they've done. And, and that actually kind of brings up another question, and you had mentioned that reptiles don't make the best pets. Dogs are domesticable, right? Yeah, because, yeah. you know, we can raise them and they become good pets. But other animals, like for example an elephant, you can tame them, but you can never domesticate them. That's right. Right? 
So is that what we see in a lot of these animals here? Is it because they're not really domesticable that that's why they end up here? Well, they end up here for quite a variety of reasons, but um, the reptiles, it depends on the species too. I mean, we're dealing with, mm. with uh, a couple hundred different types of species here. Um, so some species are non-aggressive, others are very aggressive. Some are um, very sedentary, meaning they, they don't move. The alligator snapping turtles, they don't move. They mm. sit in one spot for months on end. That's their natural, normal behavior. So it depends on the behavior of the, of the animal. Um, and no, they cannot be d domesticated. That's just not... Uh, it's not in their behavior to be domesticated. Um, dogs and cats, it's taken millions and millions of, of years for them to evolve and then tens of thousands of years to be domesticated. So um, they're, they have larger brains, they have more, th more um, I want to say thinking capacity, but that's not really the term. But uh, reptiles have a very basic brain you know we've heard the term reptilian brain well it's very true they have a very basic brain so so they rely very heavily on sense of smell and their instinct right. so whatever their instinct is is what they're going to do and that's never going to change right well who seems to be when I came here with my family I love the, the, the tortoises who seems to be the most popular animal here for for visitors. Well, again, it changes. It depends on the on the people. Um, the tortoises are very popular. Um, the pigs are very popular. People love the idea of sugar gliders. Sugar gliders are a small, furry, very cute animal, but they're nocturnal, right. so they're they're asleep when people come to visit. <laughs> uh, and people like um, lizards and a fewer percentage like the snakes. There's, there are, you know, kids who are just absolutely fascinated with snakes. And then there's a, a, an even smaller percentage who are fascinated by tarantulas. So it's this, it's this fascination that spurs people to get these animals as pets. Right. Uh, but sometimes it's not fully thought through. And people who have allergies, there's lots of people who have allergies to dogs and cats or whatever, uh, reptiles don't trigger any allergies. So uh, if a person has an allergy but they desperately want a pet, a reptile can be a good option for them as long as it fits with their lifestyle and they've thought the whole uh, the whole situation through. Do, do you guys have uh, alligators here, or not alligators, but little caiman crocodiles? No. Okay. No. Because my next question is, are any of these pets, are they illegal pets to own? Um, or are these all legal pets that have been surrendered? 
they're all legal. Um, there is there is a legislation in British Columbia called the Controlled Alien Species Act, and there are about 1,800 animals on that list that are illegal for private ownership. Mm. So, um, you know, the Vancouver Zoo or the Vancouver Aquarium, they're allowed to have those because they have a, a CASA permit, that's Canadian Aquarium Zoo Association, and it's a, it's a very involved process to get that permit. Um, but no private ownership is allowed of, of these animals, and that includes big cats, mm. um, crocodilians, venomous snakes, constrictor snakes over a certain length, uh, some, uh, some venomous um, lizards, uh, and I think that's about it. Um, so we don't have those things here. We do have animals that require a permit some animals require a permit from Fish and Wildlife, so they uh, they provide us the permit so that we're allowed to keep the animals. And that uh, some of those include the alligator snapping turtles. Um, I think one or two long big snakes that we have. A um, couple turtles species that we have. Things like that. It sounds like it's mostly regulated because of how dangerous yes. the animal is. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That, that legislation came in specifically because uh, those animals on the list are deemed to be a public hazard. Mm. Yeah. Well, we were talking with uh, one of the volunteers earlier and how, I think it was last winter, they had found a, a cheetah or something in the, in the mountains. Mm. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that correct? Yeah. It sounds... I vaguely remember something like that, yeah. And and I think it was a year and a half ago, we got a call from uh, conservation officers. They found uh, in a house in Vancouver uh, many, many venomous snakes. Hmm. Um, now, those snakes all would have been euthanized. Oh. Um, you know, and if, if conservation officers find an animal that's on the the list chances are not always it doesn't always happen like that but chances are it will be euthanized because it is a public hazard right and even though there is the law people still have these things in their basements or wherever it's a bit shocking <laughs> yeah well I, I I think one of the reasons that I mean I find these animals so fascinating is the scare factor and uh, when we think of horror movies and haunted houses, we think of spiders and snakes. Why are humans so afraid of animals like snakes and spiders? Mm. Well, I, th I think now this is maybe my personal opinion, but I think it, it comes down to a primordial fear and awareness. So, um, you know, early man lived with with these things they they were they were in their environment and very quickly they learned that they were a danger so um, they learned to stay away from snakes or to um, to live with snakes in a way that didn't become a danger same with spiders that sort of thing so I think it 
over, you know, extended many, <laughs> possibly millions of years, uh, that that knowledge, that feeling, that that awareness became ingrained in us, and and so we just have this natural fear, which, which you know, is is a good thing. It's it's uh, it protects us. Well, it's yeah, it's interesting how we use stories to create meaning, and by attaching this, you know, scary imagery to these animals, that's our way of saying you know, stay away from them. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So, other than humans, who is the most dangerous animal in here? Would you say? <laughs> other than humans, uh, most dangerous animal. Jeez, most of them are pretty good. Um, we have a couple of snakes that are—they're not venomous; they're constrictor snakes, but they're very aggressive. And uh, they they'll just bite you for fun. That's that's their that's their go-to thing. Is, is as soon as you kind of walk near them or whatever, they'll mm. strike at you. One of them is a Hog Island boa, who's a very nasty guy. He's a he's a boa constrictor, but a smaller version than the red-tailed boa, and uh, he's very very aggressive. So we have to be very careful when feeding him and cleaning him and that sort of stuff. Have you ever been bitten? I haven't. Well, I've only been bitten by really minor, minor things. Yeah. One of our staff, Julie, she's been bitten by all kinds of animals because she's always handling them. And oh. She's always, you know, picking them up and talking to them and whatever. Right. Right. <laughs> and then they bite her. I have had a boa constrictor strike at me, but he just tapped me with his nose. It was a warning. Oh. Um, but he didn't actually bite, so thank thank goodness for that. So so they'll they'll like kind of hit you with their their nose to warn you. Is that sometimes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. If, if you're doing something that's that's, all, that's thoughtful, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll 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 consider it thoughtful. Um, but yeah, if it, sometimes they'll do that. If if you're doing something that's alarming them or. Mm or not feel, making them feel comfortable, they're going to send you a message right. to back off. So a lot of these animals here, are they, are they endangered? Are there any? We have a few species that are endangered. Okay. We, we have some spotted turtles, which are native to um, the, they're native to Canada, but sort of Ontario, parts of Quebec, parts of, of Manitoba. Uh, so we have, a few of those here and uh, we were talking to um, Fish and Wildlife a while back to see if they could be transported to a breeding program in Ontario but we haven't heard back about that. Uh, the Hog Island Boa, it's on the critically endangered species list because in the 80s um, the, the Hog Island Boa is native to a small group of islands off of Central America and in the 80s um, biologists sort of discovered the uh, flora and fauna of, of those islands and then uh, animal collectors went onto the island 
and realize that the hog island boa is it's a beautiful looking snake and it doesn't grow to be as big as the red tailed boa so they they literally took almost all of the adult snakes off the island to become breeders in the pet trade the internet that's the only place in the world that that's the only place in the world where they exist yeah. uh, so they became part of the international pet trade uh, since then, those islands have become a, a marine uh, reserve, not because of the hog island boa, but because of other animals. Mm -hmm. And as a result, the, the numbers of hog island boas has come up, but they're still on the critically endangered species list at the moment. Um, let's see, crested geckos. Crested geckos are a super... Uh, common reptile pet. They're a small, beautiful lizard, uh, but they were considered extinct in the wild. Uh, they're native to uh, small islands, uh, New Caledonia in the South Pacific. And uh, I forget why they were killed off there. But they're very popular worldwide. There's many people that, that breed them. So they're not on the critically endangered species list as such. But in the wild environment, they are. There was a biology survey done about 10, 12 years ago. And I think they found uh, a small handful that are still on the island of New Caledonia. Yeah, there's, well, there's a few others too that we have. Well, we talk about, um, you know, coral reefs and, and the sort of everything is a system and it works together. Yeah. So why do our ecosystems and our earth, for that matter, why do we need these animals? Because you mentioned extinction and... Yeah. Well, every animal, whether we like it or not, whether we are interested in it or not, whether we feel comfortable about it or not, every animal on the face of the earth has a reason for being. Mm. These things have evolved over millions of years and they're continuing to evolve. So um, whether they are an apex predator or further down on the food chain or at the very low end of the food chain, they have a, a reason for being, including insects. Insects, uh, there's more insects in the world than anything else. And they are, you know, the, the bottom platform mm -hmm. for most other life forms that, that rise above it. Um, so yeah, they are part of our ecosystem. They are part of our, our habitat and we are also animals some people may disagree with that but we are and we are dependent on uh, we're dependent on the earth we're dependent on ecosystems to feed us to uh, pr uh, provide the oxygen that we breathe to provide all the materials that you need in your life to survive they all come from the earth they don't come from anywhere else so every animal has its reason for being it has their place in the world and we need to respect that 
we need to respect that in a very deep sense not just oh yeah i like snakes or whatever mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but uh, people have to have a a more um, deeper understanding and a deeper respect so when you talk about respect it, it comes to mind what can we do as individuals as a society to not only protect these animals but protect their environments because that's what seems to be what is threatening these animals yeah is our activity with them yeah absolutely is um, well it's a very complex issue and uh, so, you know when you when you look at it at a, at a broad sense it becomes overwhelming mm. uh, but there's so much that can be done and each person can choose what direction they want to spend their time, effort, and money to preserve the overall ecosystems of the earth. So um, you can do things like, well, just very basically donate to organizations that you feel are going to make the best use of your dollars. You can um, go clean up a shoreline or clean up a, a swampy area um, if you're out in the wilderness don't take animals out of their environment um, we hear this story quite often you know my family went went camping and we saw these really pretty turtles and we took one home and it's so cute well no don't do that right you know take pictures observe enjoy but leave it there mm -hmm. it that's its home it lives there don't take it away yeah um and pollution and land use and water uh water and air uh pollution i mean there's so many different um aspects because the earth is infinitely complex right yeah well I, and and that's that's another thing is what comes to mind is the deforestation in the Amazon yeah and I think we're not aware of just how big a deal that is is that still going on at a mass rate the deforestation of the Amazon rainforest yeah I think it is I don't uh, I don't follow that too closely but uh, it's my understanding that yes uh, it continues to go on and you know the, okay now we're we're veering into my personal opinion again but which is perfectly fine <laughs> but these are not uh, black and white issues mm. Pe people in the Amazon want economic security and they want <coughs> pardon me they want um, they want a future for for their families and extended families so how are they going to get that well there's some land here right. I can have a farm or I can raise some cattle and I'll make some money so let's burn down a few acres and and put our backs into it and do that well there goes a few more acres of the mm -hmm. Amazon River so do these can these people make a decent living 
and thrive and prosper and can they do that and also allow the Amazon to thrive as an ecosystem so now you're looking at um, different ways of people making money is that through ecotourism is that through environmentally sustainable uh, harvesting of medicinal plants and so on is that some sort of high-tech um, in um, sorry my my brain went blank there that's okay uh, is that some sort of high-tech industry that right. that is helicoptered into the area and training people you know these are very broad very complex issues um, but we have to take a look at all of them and uh, and continue to work towards the end goal of of uh, preserving our ecosystems, preserving our land, water, and air systems, and preserving our animal populations because they're they're uh, being devastated. Right. Do you, do you see? And and that kind of brings up the next thing is we talk about you know Greenpeace and all this stuff, which is through a Western lens. Mm -hmm. um, do you see a level of awareness increasing, or? Is it, are we kind of like in a doldrums in terms of our level of advocacy for, for sustainability and things like that? Or are we getting better? Well, it feels at various times that we are getting a bit better in terms of our awareness. Um, and then it sort of lulls, um, drops off, people become more involved in other issues or, or what have you. Um, I think that the uh, I think the difficulty among many <laughs> is to is to have that level of awareness, that level of work and care and and um, and doing right. sustainable over generations. Yeah. Um, there's not a quick fix. There is no quick right. fix no quick fix and we didn't get here overnight either no right no we certainly didn't and there is no quick fix but but there's no it's it's something that has to be continuously mm -hmm. taught generation over generation right. over generation do you think we're getting there I think we've started okay I think we've started I mean um, various environmental organizations, uh, the Suzuki Foundation and Greenpeace and, and others made a very valiant start uh, years ago in the, in the 60s and so on. And, and now it's sort of the second and third generation of environmentally aware people, but it continues it needs to continue and it needs to broaden over the whole globe all countries all cultures um, you know we can feel kind of smug in our Western culture uh, but we are the the biggest polluters in the world yeah 
and the biggest export uh, here in Canada or BC, I think we're the number one exporter of coal. Yeah. Which is like the worst burning fossil fuel. Yeah. Well, what is the most important lesson you have learned from the animals here? Oh, I've learned so many different lessons. Um, I really enjoy uh, learning and knowledge. Mm. So I really enjoy learning about uh, the different animals and learning uh, different facts about them and, and characteristics and stuff like that. I also really enjoy the teaching aspect of teaching people about them and, and getting them to be fascinated, to be aware so that they can go out and do their own independent research and maybe something special will grow from that. Uh, but in terms of just the animals themselves, I've learned that uh, the animals do have, I almost want to say personality, but I'm a bit hesitant to say that because, <laughs> because animals don't have the same thoughts and feelings and so on mm. that people do and that's that's something that's a mistake that many people make is that they they attribute human yeah. feelings and thoughts to animals and they simply don't have them. They humanize them. They humanize yeah. them exactly and and it's simply not not the case but animals do have their quirks their their individual personalities, um, you know, you take, we've got, uh, what, five sugar gliders. So each one of those sugar gliders has its own personality or its own way of how it reacts to whatever is happening around it. Some, some are shy, some are braver, some are um, more drawn to human contact, others um, fight against it and, and, you know, we'll just bite you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so, uh, it's important to get to know each animal, um, individually so that you can work with it safely. Um, and you have some idea, you can, you can read its behavior. You, you can, you can kind of, you can see, okay, the iguana is bobbing its head like mad. Yeah, that's really funny. But really, he's telling you, back off. Yeah. You're in my you're in my zone, mm -hmm. and I don't like it. So you need to be able to read those signs so that you can uh, be safe around the animals. You don't cause the animals undue stress, and everybody can exist happily. Right. I like that. Well, that kind of feeds into my next question of what do you think that they can teach all of us? And uh, it's almost like we, we meet one iguana, we've met one iguana, right? Kind of like how we interact with humans. Everybody is an individual, mm -hmm. right? So you'd mentioned about the COVID outbreak and how it's impacted you. Yeah. How can someone help uh, support the urban safari uh, refuge society? Well, um we we have started a GoFundMe page. Mm -hmm. uh, so if people want to make a donation, there's many different avenues where you can make a donation. So if you want to uh, make a donation through GoFundMe, and that's particularly good if um, uh, there's people out there who are not from Canada. Right. Uh, 
so we have some <laughs> listeners in South Africa. So oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah. fantastic. One of our volunteers uh, volunteers every year for uh, four or five months at a uh, animal reserve in Namibia. Oh, nice! Yeah, and she has for the last what? Yeah. nine we, we have nine listeners years. from there as well. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. So shout out to Namibia. Yeah, absolutely. and South Africa. Absolutely, yeah. they're they're doing incredible work. Um, so yeah, GoFundMe. So you can just uh, go on to the GoFundMe page and and uh, type in the search bar "Urban Safari Rescue Society" and our campaign will come up. So you can make a donation there. You can visit our uh, donation page on our website. Our website is www.urbansafari.ca. And because we're a registered charity, uh, we can issue tax receipts. That would be for Canadians. Uh, so uh, if you go through the donation page on our website, make the donation, the tax receipt is generated automatically and then you just print it off. Um, we've had, we just the other day we had a 10 year old boy named Ethan come by uh, with his parents. He, he got $25 for his birthday and he wanted to donate it to us and that just nearly That's made awesome. me cry yeah. <laughs> because that is just so kind yes right yeah um we can learn a lot from ethan yes <laughs> uh, that kind of community generosity mm. is just uh overwhelming sometimes um uh what else oh um we have recently opened our doors to the public so people can come by uh, we're open 11 till 4 uh, every day except for Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So people can come in, um, they can visit the animals, learn about them, ask questions. Uh, it's $10 per adult, $6 per child over the age of 3 and $6 per senior, and that includes tax. Uh, we just ask that everyone must wear a mask, a face mask. Uh, so there's that. We are doing our outreach program by Zoom. So we've, we've gone online. So if somebody wants to book us for um, a summer camp, daycare, birthday party, you know, family gathering, wh wh whatever, um, we can do our um, hour-long presentation online using Zoom or any other platform that people want to use. And we've done them for people in Australia, Singapore, Cambodia, all over Canada, all over the States. It's really quite cool. Awesome. And it's a great way if you've got family in many corners of the world, it's a great way to bring everybody together for, you know, Johnny or Jill's birthday uh, and have a visit, you know, get get that FaceTime visit with everybody and then also learn about uh, animals and uh, animal issues. Yeah. Do, do you guys have uh, any social media like an Instagram or anything like that that people can follow you on? Yeah, we have a Facebook page, Urban Safari Rescue. Uh, we have Instagram. We have uh, Twitter. 
think that's about it. Awesome. Well, last question. So you've talked about the history uh, and how you got involved with this organization. What's what's next for you guys once things get back to normal in terms of COVID? What's the future plan for the Urban Safari Rescue Society? Well, that's a big question. Um, it's a bit uncertain right now because of COVID. So, you know, that's changed everybody's plans in the mm -hmm. world, of course. Uh, we, we do have very ambitious plans of building an ecology center. Um, and a, the ecology center would be a bigger facility. It would encompass more, more animals because that would allow us to, to take in more, more animals. Um, more surrenders and it would allow us to to broaden and innovate our our education program mm -hmm. so we're really help, hoping that uh, that can come to pass um, if there's anybody out there who who wants to uh, get involved and help us bring that to fruition that would be amazing we're we're looking for people who have who have experience and skill and contacts and money <laughs> yes, the the greatest resource right yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll be sure to uh, include our donations. Um, and yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. It was real fun. Okay. It was really fun. And and what was your last name, Sharon? Doucette. D Doucette. D O U C E T T E. Okay. Thanks again, Sharon. You're very welcome. Thanks okay. for coming. <laughs>